And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Well, hello again, and welcome to the Mentors Radio Show. I'm Rick Brudico, your mentor host. If you're a repeat listener to The Mentors, you know our goal is to challenge your thinking about life and work. Boy, today do I think we'll do that. Today, with along with my guest mentor, Chris Lowney, we will review his excellent book, Make Today Matter. I'm excited to speak with Chris today. I've read the book, and for those of you who listen regularly, you know that I believe what is important in life, and therefore in work, is wisdom. My personal definition of wisdom is that it is knowledge modified by experience over time. There is no question for me that Chris has compiled real wisdom in this book, not only by citing his personal experiences, but by giving the reader 10 habits to establish themselves to make a better life. Chris has a unique background, one that seems almost paradoxical. He was a Jesuit seminarian. He served as a managing director at J.P. Morgan on three continents. He currently chairs the board of CHI, one of the nation's largest hospital systems. He is best-selling author of six books. He speaks on leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making. His articles have been featured in Forbes, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and the Wall Street Journal. Not too bad for a day's work. And I'm sure you'll hear how he makes today matter. I know if you listen carefully, he will provide us with a lot of wisdom and some great suggestions for habits that really make a difference. In fact, I suggest you get a pen and jot down notes on what we hear. Of course, you can review this broadcast on our website, thementorsradio.com, along with an archive of all the shows we have done. Also there, you will find notes and other information that mentor mentor guests post. We will also post a link to Chris's book on that site. But why talk about him when we can be speaking with him? So let me introduce my guest mentor, Chris Lowney, the author of Make Today Matter, 10 Habits for a Better Life and World. Hello, Chris. Hey, Rick. Thanks for uh, giving me the time to speak with you and your audience. Well, and thank you very much for taking the time to speak with you. I honestly mean this. I feel very honored to have the opportunity to speak with you. Um, Maybe in in an effort to get into the subject, if you could just kind of refresh your background a little bit for us so that the audience gets an idea of some of the things you've done and how it all comes together. Like I said, it's a bit paradoxical. Yeah, thanks. You mean uh, not everybody studies as a seminarian and then ends up in investment banking? <laughs> <laughs> That's um, right. You know, it, one, one, well, I was going to say one is helping the poor and one's robbing the poor, but I'm sure that that, that is definitely an out-of-character remark. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll gloss over that. Um, yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm a New York kid um, and went to a, uh, I went to a high school. Most people would probably know uh, Jesuits, at least generally speaking, uh, you know, run University of San Francisco, among other institution. Santa Clara uh, is an order of Catholic priests and brothers. And right after high school, I studied for a few years to be a Jesuit. 
then discerned that my path in life was not as a priest and was lucky enough to end up at J.P. Morgan. That's a longer story. Um, and I worked at, at, at Morgan for any number of years, um, uh, in not only in New York, but in Asia and Europe. And I had always had an idea that uh, I would want to have another chapter or two in life beyond just working at Morgan. And I had always aspired to write a book that synthesized some ideas about leadership, not that I'm the great guru on leadership, but uh, saw some good and bad leaders at work and, and want to distill some of their ideas. So I wrote Heroic Leadership and since then have been writing. Um, you mentioned, I'll, I'll go over this part just briefly, you mentioned that I'm uh, chair of the board of CHI, a large hospital system, and um, life moves fast, as you and your listeners know very well. And in fact, now we've merged with Dignity, a, uh, a, an important West Coast healthcare system, and now I'm vice chair of Common Spirit Health, which is the merged entity. Wow. <laughs> and that's since we talked last. <laughs> <laughs> Just in recent history, yep. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, th thank you for that that help and letting us get to know you a little better. But you know, your book really intrigues me, and and I, I point this out to the to the uh, listeners as well. If you just look at the title, "Make Today Matter," and then the subtitle is 10 Habits for a Better Life" (parentheses) and "World." So, tell us. You know, because we can't possibly go over all of them in one in one interview. But tell us a little bit about what what you talk. What are these habits? What are the things you're talking about? Is it like brushing my teeth? Yeah. Uh, so hopefully we're we're talking about habits that are easy to implement in life, but maybe a little more profound in impact than brushing your teeth. So <laughs> that's an important <laughs> habit too. And <laughs> you know, to to sort of backtrack to the the very idea of it. When I think about my own life and, and the lives of most folks that I, with whom I interact, whether they're corporate executives or, or people trying to raise kids, um, and, and a lot of us are both, uh, you know, often it strikes me that people have a general idea of who they want to be at their best selves. You know, you might not have a precise mission or definition, but you, you kind of have some idea of what your core values are and, and what kind of person you want to be. That's usually not the big problem. The big problem is then daily life begins, total maelstrom, lots of distractions, lots of demands, lots of exigencies, and it becomes really hard to stay on track toward whatever kind of person you want to be. So... In essence, what I was trying to do is break down that big picture of uh, who you want to be at your best self into a series of kind of bite-sized steps, habits, characteristics that folks uh, could handle on a day-to-day -day basis that hopefully would keep us on track toward who we want to be. Yeah, I think, and I think it, it comes through that way. Um, I guess, though, one of the things that I, I thought was kind of um, – Interesting and very, I think it's in, a, in the introduction, but very early on in the book, you say sometimes it takes a crisis. And so let's go back to the, uh, the idea of your, your, your teeth. I mean, what, what kind of crisis are you talking about? And we only have a short time before the break. Maybe you can just summarize the crisis that would lead us to this decision to make our habits better. All right. Let me, tr let me try to handle that. Basically, the, the idea that I tee up in the intro is uh, I have a friend who lived through the terrible hurricane in, in Houston. 
Right. And his strong reflection afterward was how it really brought out the best in people. And so the challenge for all of us is how do we be our best, not just when there's a crisis, but all the rest of the time. Yeah, I, and I, I guess that's what I find is interesting because you're, the implication there is that we do become our best in a crisis. Is that what you're you're leading us to? Absolutely. I mean, look, I mean, I, I lived through 9-11 here in New York. I mean, that was a... That was a horrific uh, moment that's etched on everybody's uh, memory of, of course, most particularly those of us in New York. Um, but part of the memory that people carry from 9-11 is the, is the remarkable everyday heroism and generosity and goodness it brought out not just in nurses and first responders, but in all kinds of folks, you know, in, in those days afterward. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think there's something about people's suffering and disasters that, that tends to bring out our best. And to me, part of the challenge is how do we, how do we uh, maintain that mindset and sense of purposefulness uh, all the rest of the time? Well, that, we'll get back with that right after the break because we're running up against the clock. But I do want to explore that just a bit more. So stick with us and let's understand why crises may make us better. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm your mentor host for today, Rick Brutico, and we're talking with lecturer, author, businessman, Chris Lowney, who is helping us to understand why we make today needs to be made a little better and offering us 10 habits for a better life. Before we took the break, Chris, we were talking about the crisis and how crisis seems to drive us into maybe a better form of acting, a action. And I think what the point, at least that I took away, was that somehow when there's a crisis, we're more considerate of our neighbor, we're more helpful to other people. We don't just think about ourselves, but we think about us as a, a, a genuine commodity of our group, I should say, maybe a group of people or family of people. Is that where you were going with that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the neat, the neat trick is uh, to kind of not, uh, because nobody wants to live uh, from crisis to crisis and, and have that right. be the only way we perform well. huh? And so therefore right. we get to the habits. And I think you wanted to focus in on a, on a couple of those. So I'll, I'll let you do that. Okay. Well, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I thought was very interesting was, um, you talked about in, I think it's the third habit, you said, don't win the race, contribute to the human race. Uh, maybe you could explain to us what you have in mind there and some of the things that led you to that thinking. Yes, yeah. So really what I'm getting at is a fundamental attitude toward life. In other words, do you imagine that you're here on earth to beat out other people, uh, to win the race, or do you imagine that you're here on earth ultimately to contribute to the race, meaning the human race, huh? And, you know, the way I tee up that, uh, that uh, idea, that challenge, that invitation, is um, coming directly from my own 
investment banking life, and um, I'm sure you have a number of listeners who are in the profession. Uh, but frankly, uh, a big it, the Silicon Valley is is not far from where you're sitting, and uh, the tech world would would almost be the same, where people have this uh, strong impulse to measure themselves against other people. My bonus is bigger. My IPO is bigger. My net worth is bigger. My house is bigger. All this kind of nonsense. Uh, and you know something to kind of be in an investment bank on bonus day is a remarkable and deeply disturbing human experience because, <laughs> you know, you have all these characters who uh, for five seconds are over the moon, you know, like astounded at the size of the check they got. And it probably doesn't take more than about five seconds before people begin to wonder, gee, what did that guy get? You know, my competitor down the hall. And then another minute after that, they're pretty sure that, in fact, they got screwed. Um, and so what should be uh, a, a, a moment of, of remarkable happiness and, and uh, a kind of a drive to say, oh, man, I've been blessed with all this. I have to do something with it in the end becomes exactly the opposite, you know, this kind of moment of resentment and, and so on. And really the point I make is, and I'm not originating this, I mean, you could read a lot of psychologists or spiritual leaders who tell you exactly the same thing, that if your approach to life is fundamentally comparative, in other words, um, I'm, I'm measuring, I'm, I'm living life basically as a way of uh, comparing myself to, to others, and I can only feel good if I've outdone others, that's a rat race that you never win. Because every time you outdo Mr. A or Miss B, uh, you soon become aware of, oh man, there's Mr. C up there in the next hill above me. And it's just a sinkhole for negative energy, and it never really works out, as opposed to people whose fundamental attitude about life is more contributive, say. In other words, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm here to see that my wife is happy and my kids grow and they flourish or my teammates at work, uh, that they actually uh, develop their own talents uh, or that all together in this hospital, we actually accomplish together what we're here for. And my source of satisfaction in life uh, comes from more from that, contributing as opposed to comparing. So that's what that habit is. It's kind of a check on people thinking about um, the, the core uh, approach that they have to human life. You know, Chris, did you ever uh, meet or know of the, uh, he was also, he is still is a judge, but Robert Spitzer, have you heard of him? Absolutely, I know him, yeah. I, I knew yeah. Bali was uh, president of Gonzaga and, and Gonzaga, uh, University, right. yeah. the home of the Zags, that great basketball team, and we knew each other yes. a bit in those days, yeah. Yeah, and, and and I also have been involved with him in a lot of things, and he has four levels of happiness, and one of them is the comparative level, which is, I think, two. I believe it's two. I mean, the first happiness is satisfaction, you know, and as he likes to say, it, you eat a big bowl of linguine and you feel great. And then later you realize <laughs> maybe it wasn't so great. But on uh, the other hand, comparative, one of the points he makes, which I think is right, what I got out of your book as well. You didn't quite say it this way, but whenever you're comparative, you can never be happy because there'll yeah. always be somebody you can compare with that is in some ways better. It's got something you didn't get, you know, you got, he got a, 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 let's just say a Bentley, you got a Bentley, but now his Bentley's blue and yours is black and you wish you had a blue one. I mean, it's, it's impossible when you try to compare yourself to others, 
But I think you you led us down a great track when we you went to uh, your, what you call your fourth habit, which is give away your sneakers and help someone today. So maybe you could expound on that a bit for us too. Yeah, I mean that that uh, I'll I'll tell the story and and then I'll I'll get into the lesson, the habit from it. And um, it's a story that really uh, touches me a lot, um, and it's drawn from my experience uh, as being on, uh, of being on a healthcare board. And the story is this: so in one of our hospitals, um, there was a guy who uh, came into the emergency room, and uh, you know, no stranger to the folks in the emergency room, uh, a guy might have been an alcoholic, but in any case, a guy who had chronic substance abuse problems. And um, so, you know, the good folks in the ER room are kind of patching him up. And um, uh, the ER doc notices that the guy has no sneakers. Uh, Sorry, the guy has no shoes. Mm -hmm. And so after they take care of his minor medical needs, they get ready to send him out uh, back onto the street. And the doc takes off his his sneakers and, and gives them to the guy. And, uh, and sends them back out. And the nurse who wrote up the story and, and shared it with the rest of our healthcare system, uh, you know, she focuses on an image of seeing this ER doc at the end of his shift walking through the parking lot to his car in his socks, you know. Um, <laughs> and, okay, look. What an image. I mean, the, wor- <laughs> the world is not going to change because this guy gave his sneakers to... Uh, you know, a homeless guy or a street person. And that's by no means the point of the story. Rather, the point of the story to me was, is that, you know, life presents so many of those small everyday moments, so to speak, to give away your sneakers. And we tend to glide right by them. Uh, you know, another, an example I sometimes use is there's a guy who sits in the lobby of my apartment building, like a lot of New York City folks that live in a pretty big building. And, you know, he's a nice guy. He's probably kind of lonely. He hangs out there. He wants to talk to somebody. Um, and most of the time I just cruise by him, not because my life is filled with such important things, but I always feel like I have something else to do. Um, but, you know, when I'm my best self, I just say, okay, look, let me, let me just spend two or three minutes with the guy and have a little chat. That's giving away my sneakers or yeah. picking up a piece of trash that's on the street or uh, helping somebody that I know needs uh, a little bit of coaching or support or so on. So that habit of give away your sneakers is about can I kind of get my head attuned uh, and my eyes open to these really small opportunities to do something positive for somebody else, these really small opportunities that just pop into our lives every day. Yeah, and that's so true. And look how many times do we walk by. Uh, you know, you, you often see people uh, wanting uh, money on the corner or something like that, and your thought is, oh, are they just conning me or whatever? And maybe once in a while we throw a dollar in or something like that as we go by, but how often do we stop and talk to them, engage them as a fellow human being, a yeah. person with real dignity and I know you make that uh, comment in your book, too. But as usual, we're running up against a break again. Uh, I, I'd like to, when we come back, I'd like to uh, kind of tease the audience by telling them, we can tell you other story. he can tell you other stories about this, too. But one of them is that you can't make, can't change the world today. We'll bring that up when we come back. So stick with us, and we're talking to Chris Lowney, author and lecturer and businessman. 
And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well, I'm glad you joined us today, and I hope you are too. But if you just tuned in now, I've been talking to Chris Lowney. He's helping us understand why we need to make today matter and offering 10 Habits for a Better Life. Right before we left for the break, Chris was telling us the story about the physician who gave away his sneakers and following on his idea that, you know, you don't need to win the race. You need to help somebody else today. So give away your sneakers. I I was thinking, Chris, that um, also you make a a very interesting point, and I believe it's early on in the book, but you, you say something about you give that standard phrase, you can change the world. And then I think you say something like that's not so or something, but you can change a bit of the world. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, yes. So, um, I mean, everybody, everybody hears these commencement speakers or, you know, these little, or these motivational things about go out and change the world. And, you know, frankly, to me, it's kind of mumbo jumbo the way it's phrased and it's sort of, uh, conjures up this idea that um, uh, I'm going to go out and uh, I'm going to reform the healthcare system in the United States in a way that's going to make everybody happy, you know. And I know that that right. the chance of that happening is is close to zero. Uh, and and I so one of the stories I I tell in the book I'll I'll uh, repeat it right now um, gets to the idea of what you can do. And let me uh, let me tell the story one uh, a couple of times. I've had the sure. privilege of going to um, give talks in uh, in the, in Metro Manila in the Philippines. And once um, uh, after giving a talk, I, w- I was taken on a tour of different parts of Manila, including uh, this um, this site called Payatas, which is uh, one of the world's largest open air garbage dumps. And uh, this was now some years ago. And man, let me tell you, that is unlike almost anything else I've seen in the world. Um, A mountain, really. Whole site is about 50 acres. And you would uh, see folks up on top of this enormous pile of trash picking through it for recyclables, you know, like some bit of metal or plastic or whatever that they could bring to a broker and sell. And uh, every once in a while, like a dump truck would trundle up to the top of the thing and folks would, believe it or not, lean in close as opposed to getting away when the when the truck started unloading, you know, dumping its its load so that they would have the first shot at at things. So it was really a, you know, it really is a discouraging thing. uh, thing to see, uh, to their credit. And almost, almost unbelievable, I might add. And almost yeah. unbelievable. You can so imagine right. the odor yeah. that must have come out of that place. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Uh, so then we're leaving. Uh, we're leaving, and toward the bottom of this site, I see a little house with a swimming pool. And so we go <laughs> in and uh, to have a look, and it turns out it's run by a couple of nuns. Uh, they're right at the foot of this garbage mountain, and basically what they're doing is they're taking kids, little kids, off the hands of their parents who are garbage picking on this dump, and the pool is there simply because you're not going to get a four-year-old kid to want to wash himself, but on a hot day, they're sure as heck going to want to jump in a pool. So it was their way of tricking them into washing up. And here's the point I, I really try to extract from that story. You know, 
if those if you said to those two nuns, fix every injustice, inequity, social pathology and problem that is leading to this reality of this horrible dump with people garbage picking, uh, I mean, they, they would give up. I mean, there's no way in the world they're going to they're going to fix all those social ills, but they could do what they could do. You know, they could take little kids and uh, teach them a bit, give them something to eat and keep them a bit clean. And hopefully some of them, you know, might have a shot at at living uh, into a better standard of living than their parents. So, you know, the point, the habit that I took away from that story in the book is simply, you know, look, get over this kind of discouraging, crazy idea that you have to change the whole world because unless you're one of a very small handful of people, you're not going to do it. But instead, accept the fact that like those sisters at the bottom of that massive dump, life is going to give you some little tiny corner of the world that you can change. Uh, whether that's in your own household, whether that's in your neighborhood, whether it's in the hospital or company you work, it, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, everybody, uh, each, each of us gets some little corner of the world that we can change and we're going to be happier and more productive if we focus our energies there rather than be uh, discouraged by the scale of massive problems that may be beyond our capacity to, to change. Yes, and I th- and thank you, Chris. That's such a oh boy, such a poignant story. I can, as you talk, talk talk about it, as I read it, I can smell it. I can feel the heat. I can feel the oppressiveness. Can feel the competition that's taking place to get garbage, so you can make a few bucks to eat or whatever it is they're they're trying to do there. And it, it's 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 such a graphic story, but it fill, fills in very nicely, leads in very nicely to another thing you said that. Often a lot of us have the belief that if you're not a CEO, if you're not a, I don't know, a congressman, if you're not something in a leadership position, you're not a leader. But I think if I remember correctly, you make the point that we're all leaders one way or another. Maybe sometimes we aren't good leaders. Maybe we're doing bad leaders. Maybe you could explain that concept so that how these nuns had an effect on the world, even yeah. with her. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, I mean, thank, thank you for raising that because absolutely you, you, the connection is, is a good one to make and, and you're totally right about uh, what I think. Um, the first book I wrote, Heroic Leadership, is really about this concept. And, um, you know, here's, here's how I would, I would get into it. That um, I, I, most of the time I, I do a lot of talks about uh, leadership in, in corporate settings often or healthcare settings. And um, one of the first things I do is ask people to think of the names of, of leaders. Invariably, they think of super famous people. Right. But then I ask them, think of the qualities of good leaders. And invariably, they list a number of qualities that they themselves could embody every day. You know, people will say, be a good communicator, uh, have a sense of direction, be a person of integrity, be able to motivate others, work in a team. I mean, all of us can do these things. Right, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, the point I try to make, and then I go right to the dictionary, is that uh, the, the, one of the core definitions of leadership is pointing away and influencing others, and all of us are doing that all the time. Yeah. Right, yeah, right. And, and I think you also say that you're, by example, you're leading, right? 
For, for sure. You know, I mean, when I say that, you know, the definition is we need to point out a way in influencing others. I mean, we're not walking around with a sign that says this is how right. you want to live or this is what you ought to do. But, you know, the way parents, uh, what parents do for kids over a lifetime is implicitly pointing out a way. This is how you ought to live. This is the values you ought to role model. Let's, ho- let's hold it right there. Stick with us. We'll follow up on why you're a leader. And even if you don't know you are, you are. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to The Mentors Radio. I'm your host, Rick Brudico, and today I'm with Chris Lowney, an author who has written a book that really matters. And the title of the book is Make Today Matter, and for me it's been eye-opening, offering 10 habits for a better life. Um, Right before we left, he said we could be helping people or stabbing them in the back. Uh, Chris, I'd like you to pick it up there and explain how when I'm doing something, I could uh, either be stabbing them or maybe raising them to a higher power. Yeah, so um, we were we were chatting about um, the fact that everybody has a leadership opportunity and responsibility. Right. You know, we're all pointing yes. the way and having some influence. And we were going through a couple of examples of just how implicitly we do point the way for others. You know, in other words... Uh, whether I behave with integrity or not, I'm having some influence. You know, people are looking at me and saying, okay, this is how this guy uh, operates and what should I, you know, what should I think about my own life? Similarly, uh, how do I think of colleagues? You know, uh, do I think of colleagues as uh, people that I need to trample over and stab in the back so I can get ahead? Or do I do I kind of have a more golden rulish idea of you know look I'm I have to treat these folks the way uh, I want to be treated or these folks are every bit as dignified as I am and and that means I have to treat them a certain way um, you know so I I show leadership in in how I treat folks um, and yes you know you you kind of mention raising folks to a higher level and and I think that's not a um, uh, that's that's a, a perfectly appropriate, even provocative way way to put it. Yeah, I, and I guess I'm specifically interested in you know we've talked about all these things we can do, and I certainly buy into your uh, your premise that uh, everything I do, somebody's watching me one way or another. And maybe they're getting good and maybe they're getting bad because I am a leader one way or another. I may be a bad leader or a good leader. I think you actually use that as an example. But I'm kind of interesting. You know, there's a whole other segment, and that's the ethical, moral side of things. Uh, You refer in your book uh, a number of times to the spiritual interaction there. And maybe maybe you can talk about how the spiritual values, uh, which it's obvious from your reading your book that uh, you, you have them and something we certainly share, but uh, how does it react? How does it react in the overall story of the habits? How, how does that fit in, and where does it fit in? All right. So I mean, so thank you for raising that. And I mean, may, maybe I'd put it this way: that I I think that is an overarching um, theme that's kind of running through the whole book and and through these habits and. And maybe I could get at it this way. So, I I mean, I worked in one of the most materialistic, toughest businesses on earth, you know, in investment banking on Wall Street. Yes. Uh, As as people understand it, that business is about money and nothing else. Mm. 
So in that, even in that environment, one of the things that struck me over time is when we talked about ideas about leadership or what great leadership looked like, even in that industry, we spoke about leadership in a way that you could only describe as deeply spiritual. You know, like people would use phrases like, uh, oh, you know, uh, you know, great, great leaders are people who are able to put the mission ahead of their own self-interest. I mean, that's a pretty spiritual kind of idea. Or, uh, you know, great, great leaders um, uh, care deeply about the people we entrust to them and want the best for their subordinates and are motivated by deep respect. I mean, those are all pretty spiritual ideas. Um, and I have had the conviction that there's something deeply spiritual about great leadership. Now, what spirituality you or I have or how we come at that word, I mean, that is a totally different question, you know? I right. mean, I happen to be a... I happen to be a Catholic, so I'm, I'm in a specific religious tradition, and other folks are in other religious traditions. Some folks are in no religious tradition whatsoever, but would consider themselves deeply spiritual. In other words, they, their conviction is that, you know something, there's more to life than what I could touch, count, put in my bank, measure, this kind of stuff, you know? And so I think in one way or another, all of the habits I'm talking about are also gateways for people to um, uh, kind of live out some of their spiritual beliefs in their day-to-day -day life, whether they're, uh, you know, in a helping profession in a hospital or in a um, for-profit enterprise, you know, in a, in a bank or a tech company or, or what have you. And you know, a, a challenge or a problem that I think I'm indirectly getting at in the book is this one, that I think a lot of people have a big problem um, connecting their deepest sense of beliefs, whatever their spirituality is, to what they do all day, their work. Um, and so we end up a lot of times living split lives, you know, so... Uh, you know, whether it, whether I'm going to mosque on Friday or synagogue on Saturday, church on Sunday, uh, or whatever is my spiritual practice, uh, a lot of times people have, uh, feel like, oh yeah, what goes on in that environment has nothing to do with the person I have to be at work. Right. And that ultimately is never a very satisfying lifestyle because, I mean, no, nobody can be fulfilled ultimately if you feel like you're living a split life. So in some way, I feel like the habits um, are, are kind of also helping us to uh, live a kind of a spirituality of everyday life, a spirituality of leadership, if you want to think of it that way. And, and again, when we use that word, I'm not talking about my specific religious tradition or anybody else's specific religious tradition, rather just a way of uh, people bringing their spiritual values to bear uh, on their day-to-day -day activities. Yeah, and maybe couldn't we say that interacting with that is another way to say it very similarly, is we have to establish a moral compass, an ethical compass, whatever you're going to, a set of values that we, I think you actually say in the book, you find your values early in life and stick with them. They're, they should be the cornerstone of your decision making. And I, that was always one thing that I wondered about. I know for me personally, without my spiritual tradition, without recognizing there's a higher power, without recognizing there's human dignity in every person, 
I mean, how do I establish a set of values that respects that? And I think we've seen a lot of things in business recently, unfortunately, a lot of scandals in many places where their spiritual values uh, seem to be depreciated because of decisions that were made. In other words, no attention was made to the made them. I meant to say moral values or ethical values depreciated since no attention 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 was paid to them. Uh, can you comment on that? And we, we just have yeah. about another sixty seconds. Okay. Yeah. And may, you know, let me um, come at it from the from the opposite way in the opposite angle. So in my time at Morgan. Um, as everybody knows, investment banks are hiring boatloads of folks from college or business school. And, you know, we'd sometimes get folks that they wouldn't put it this way, but basically what their life was about was, uh, I want to make a boatload of money and just tell me what I have to do. Yeah. And that was a little scary to us. I mean, it's fine for people to be ambitious, fine for people to uh, want to be very well remunerated. But when your compass is no further than I just want the money, we were afraid this is the kind of person that's going to get us into big trouble fast. And so, yes, it comes down to do these folks have a real grounding in something deeper than their desire to get rich or be successful? Right. And and in all fairness, and I know we can't go into it with the little bit of time that's left here in this segment, but in all fairness, you made a comment before about what people think about investment banking. And it's unfortunately true that's what they think. But investment banking is also the great uh, provider, funder for process, uh, processes and products that are beyond the ability of any individual to do. So it's important that good ethical values and moral values are maintained in that industry as well as any other. So right after get, we get back from the break, we'll be wrapping up with Chris Lowney. Stick with us and uh, we'll hear how he brings it all together at the very end. And now back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Well, we're back. Thanks for listening. And I hope you're not just joining us. This has been a tremendous show filled with so much information and so much wisdom. Uh, And now I'm going to ask our friend, author, Chris Lowney, to bring it all together. And one of the ways that I saw in the end of the book, Chris, is you referred to your Jesuit tradition of the examen. How did you make that work in your career? And how can the rest of us take advantage of something like that? Yeah. So, um, so the book, um, so the book outlines 10 habits and I could see somebody saying to themselves or saying to me, Hey pal, my life is already too complicated. I'm not going to remember like <laughs> 10 more things, you know? And so I felt like there's a neat trick, a neat workaround, a neat, what I call the wisdom app, so to speak, yes. except it's not an app that you have to go into the, uh, the iStore, uh, you know, the iTunes store and, and download. Rather, it's, it's just a habit you have to acquire. And it does come from my own time as a Jesuit seminarian. And there's a neat little practice that anybody who's listening to us could begin uh, doing in, you know, less than 10 minutes a day if they wanted. And uh, the, the, to, to, to boil it down to a simplified version, find a couple of times each day where you could take a little mental pit stop. Let's imagine right after lunch and going home after work. And I'm going to set aside three or four minutes, no telephone, no music player, no text, no social media. It's just going to be me 
with myself or if I'm a spiritual person with my sense of higher power and just do three little things. I mean, one, remind yourself why you're grateful as a person. And second, um, extend your horizon a little bit. In other words, our horizon tends to be no further than this is the text I have to answer right now or this is what I want for lunch or I like what's playing on, the, on my uh, headset. And instead of that, maybe think about, you know, gee, why am I doing this kind of work anyway? Or why am I here on earth? Or, what, you know, what did I commit to when I married this woman? You know, some big picture thing. And then third, uh, is still in these same few minutes, just let me go back through the last few hours and uh, take some lesson that might help in the next few hours. You know, how did I behave in that meeting? How have I been engaged in the problems uh, I have come I've encountered how have I been treating the the people I come in contact with either clients or, or team members and I think the genius of this really simple practice and how it helps to build self-awareness and knowledge and wisdom becomes obvious when we think about these crazy lives uh, we're living on this tide of email distraction phone call and we're present to every crazy miscellaneous distraction but we're totally unpresent to the things that matter most. Yeah, what what valuable advice. Don't we all need a little silence and peace in our day to think a bit and use that as a kind of a checklist of what we've done and what we haven't done and what we can do better in the future. So I'm sorry we're out of time, Chris. It's It's been marvelous for me, and I'm sure the listeners feel the same way. Kind of wraps up our show for today. You've been listening to the Mentors Radio Show. I'm mentor host Rick Brutico, along with my guest house, uh, Chris Lowney. Chris, a lecturer, businessman, and author. And his book, Make Today Matter, 10 Habits for a Better Life and a Better World. If you like what you heard, you want to share it with your friends, or if you tuned in late, you can hear the whole show and get show notes and a link to Chris's latest book on our website, thementorsradio.com. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Mentors Radio. We'll see you there for sure. This is Rick Brutico, your mentor host, signing off for this edition of The Mentors and reminding you to tune in again next week at the same time and the same station. And remember, every day, in every way, do your part to make the world a little better. Thanks for listening. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.